Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Comics and Culture Radar, a podcast that's on the lookout for what's good to read and watch. If you don't know who Milton is, let's ask Kiefer Sutherland's father what he thinks. Don't write this down, but I find Milton probably as boring as you find Milton. He's a little bit long-winded. He doesn't translate very well into our generation, and his jokes are terrible. This episode, Milton's guest is Matt Mayer Lowry. Matt is a comic book writer, and his newest project is Thoughtscape. A dark science fiction anthology now on Kickstarter. Matt, thank you for coming onto the podcast. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me. So I'm excited to bring you to our guest, uh, as a guest to our audience here, um, to talk a little bit about your upcoming comic project anthology, Thoughtscape. And um, we can go into more detail a little bit later in the conversation, but just to whet everyone's appetite, why don't you give us a little bit of an elevator pitch about Thoughtscape? Sure. Uh, so Thoughtscape is an anthology series, uh, planned to be a series at least, uh, that is basically uh, hoping to serve up like sci-fi action and thrills and chills a la 2000 AD. Black Mirror and the Twilight Zone, um, stuff that I have loved for quite a while. Um, and yeah, I guess that's that's pretty much it. And basically one of my big goals with this was to like bring stories that I've worked on with all these amazing artists that I have uh, had the pleasure of working with um, to a wider audience. So that's what I'm hoping to do and do it with... Uh, a lot of style, a lot of um, sort of variety and diversity and everything, and just tell some really cool stories with amazing art and, yeah, produce uh, as much of a high-quality anthology as I can for as long as we can make it happen. Absolutely. It's uh, it's a very impressive book, and I, I highly uh, recommend it to everyone listening. Um, but before we go a little bit deeper into it, let's back up a little bit and yeah. just talk about comics in general. Uh, when did you first get into comics as a reader? Um, I grew up in the eighties and so like a lot of, at least a lot of my friends, we kind of went from, uh, Larry Hama's GI Joe comics, uh, to the rest of Marvel. Um, and that's, that was definitely my entry point. I had a friend, uh, a couple friends who were way into going to the comic store every week and picking up GI Joe. And then we kind of got to X-Men and stuff. Um, so this was, I'm not even sure I would, uh, would I be 10, like 84, 85. Um, 
and uh, the famous, uh, or should be famous uh, if it's not, um, G.I. Joe's issues 26 and 27, the Snake Eyes origin, um, totally hooked me in. And I just kind of went from there, went over to X-Men and uh, fell in love with Chris Claremont stuff. And that's, and then it kind of just, you know, um, I remember having like my, my weekly comics budget or my, I guess monthly, I went, I went every month because we've kind of lived uh, a ways from the store. So it was a little bit more of a trip. Um, but yeah, you know, I'd take my like, I'd work through my budget, look at Marvel Age and like write down what I wanted to make sure I got uh, and then head to the store and um, was into that for quite a while. And then like a lot of people sort of fell out for a little while in high school and it was not till I, I kind of kept up with it a little bit in college, but I really got back in when I read Ultimate Spider-Man uh, by Bendis, a uh, friend that I worked with gave me his like big hard covers of the first two collections of that, I think. Um, and that just like totally, uh, totally drew me back in and I just kind of went uh, nuts after that. So um, yeah, it's pretty, uh, probably pretty typical of folks of my generation who are comics people, but um, yeah, for, formative for sure. So. Yeah, the, yeah. The falling out and coming back in thing does seem to be like a required ritual for mm-hmm. everyone, apparently. Yeah, um, for sure. And, and so um, I, I miss the 90s and or a lot of the 90s, which I'm kind of trying to go back to a little bit in pieces uh, based on, you know, recommendations that I find and stuff. But yeah, it's uh, definitely seems to be a thing. People seem to leave it for a little bit and come back. Yeah. So from those earliest uh, books you read and then the books that you read after you returned, um, what are, what are some books that you consider as as influences that still influence you as a reader and as a creator? Yeah, I mean, I think like I I recently went back to those GI Joe issues and saw and not not to make any kind of quality comparison because the those uh, Laurie Hama's one of the best you know um, ever so. Uh, but there's just so many things that happen in those issues and as, and in X-Men, uh, and in X-Men I'm talking, this is like probably issue, you know, issues 200, to, I don't know, 240 or something were sort of probably my most formative ones. And the ones, you know, uh, before that, that I went back to, but, um, a lot of, you know, a lot of like having the action be offset by quiet moments and character moments and, you know, people talking about their feelings around the campfire or some kind of thing like that is something I seem to do a lot. And then I went back to those <laughs> issues and I was like, Oh, it's all right here. Like the whole template is right here. And then like, you've got the, the little flashbacky stuff. And um, yeah. So I think like uh, to some degree, I've been like trying to rewrite those things uh, over and over um, in some ways. So I think there's a lot of that, uh, a lot of that in there for sure. Um and then especially with, uh, I'm trying to kind of change it up, like getting into 2000 AD and stuff and getting more into the short stories has been super interesting because you don't necessarily have a lot of time for that sort of, uh, you know, you kind of like got to maintain the forward motion, um, in, you know, whatever, six to 12 pages or something. But, uh, so that's been an interesting balance, but then I've also done uh, life formed, which is a graphic novel. Uh, two graphic novels uh, with Dark Horse and basically 
uh, so trying to figure out like the, the more stretched out format versus the condensed format. Um, I think, you know, it's, I'm, I'm still trying to do a little bit of that I find, but definitely trying to adapt to more of a propulsive, like get this thing done in six pages, uh, deal. So, so I would have said before that Bendis's um, sort of decompression style was super influential to me. And it definitely was with life formed. Um, but now I'm trying to, uh, you know, I, twilight zone is hugely influential for me, not a comic obviously, but um, that diving into that the last few years really helped me figure out how to do a short story um, mm -hmm. of any kind, because I tried, you know, everybody says like when you're trying to make comics, you should make something short um, and not do the, you know, your full on like 50 issue series. Um, but that's totally I, what I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and let's pause for a moment yeah. and, 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 and let's speak to, if there's anyone in the audience listening um, who reacts to that statement the same way I did, which is to say, ah, that's just for, that's for the, less ambitious folks out there. I've got, yeah. <laughs> I've got, I've got such a, a, a landscape of ideas. I, I just have to, I just have to go forward into one of those big ambitious projects and the whole doing a short thing. That's just, that's just a waste of my time. And yep. I couldn't have been more wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I found, um, I found that coming at it the other way, going, going long form to short was pretty painful. So I would, I definitely think it's worth trying to do it. I mean, I think you, all this, all like creative advice, right? You should do it however you need to do it because that's what it's about anyway, right? Is you get right, your, right. your, your vision out there and you're not going to, what's the, like, I always feel like you can't do anything. You're not going to do anything successfully anyway. That's not naturally like you to some degree. Right. So if, if you have to, you know, barf out your long form thing, um, you know, go for it. It'll be expensive and painful. Uh, and, but you'll probably still learn a lot. Um, sure. So there's that, but yeah, I mean, if you can, if you've got it in you to come up with like a six or seven pager, um, you will probably be a happier person because you will be able to do more work, um, and learn more as you go than, you know, like I, and this is part of the reason that I started Thoughtscape was, you know, working on Lifeform was amazing. And uh, Cassie Anderson, who is my uh, co-creator and the artist on that book is fantastic. And I learned a ton, but doing 200 pages at a cut is like, you're only going to learn, you're going to learn what you learn from that experience, but it's really slow and it's, it's going to be just a lot less. You're going to get through a lot less learning if you are in if you know doing that than you would doing six or seven page stories, mixing it up with different artists, um, because each artist is different, each project is different, and you have to start kind of like taking in these different lessons and uh, you know parsing out what you can move forward with and what you can't, and uh, yeah, so it definitely helps to do the small stuff if you can. Um, but I did find, I did find it very painful at first to get into that mode. Um, and though now I'm really digging it and I, I'm now having a hard time getting back into sort of long form mode. So, uh, yeah, sorry, long winded, uh, 
answer. If, but so when 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 did you switch from reader to creator? Uh, when did you start wanting to create comics? That was let's see, about about eight years ago, I suppose. Um, nah, maybe eleven. I suppose. Yeah, um, I was. I basically was just coming up like on approaching 40 and I'd always wanted to write. I went to journalism school. I thought I was going to write for a while. Um, I've always yeah. written on that. Oh, go ahead. And then that entire industry uh, disappeared. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I have the exact same background, by the way. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. So, okay. I've got, yeah. a, I've got a journalism degree, AKA a worthless piece of paper. Yes. Yes. And thankfully my journalism degree was like journalism with a, I, I had to decide, I think third year or whatever, if I was, what I was going to focus on journalism wise. And I actually ended up focusing on magazine design and layout um, and not writing. So I kind of got, I got more training than not there. And I've been doing layout and design since uh, junior high. So that helped, but um, uh, yeah. So I, so anyway, I've been writing, you know, on the side, little things for the last, whatever, at that point, 20 years or something. Um, And I was in, uh, bands a lot of that time too. So I was writing lyrics and stuff all the time, um, and songs. But, uh, when I, when 40 was coming, I decided that I should really, uh, you know, make it, it was either going to happen or not. And I better get to it if I was going to do anything. So I, that was when I was deep in the throes of, um, loving, you know, like I said, the Bendis stuff, um, you know, it's probably the typical re-entry story, but Bendis, Fraction, Brubaker, uh, Rucka, all those guys, I would, you know, um, I got way into their work. I would listen to them talk on Word Balloon uh, and, you know, for hours. Uh, and like they do these like three hour long interviews and I'm just, you know, eating it all up. Um, and yeah, those I, are those are practically a comic school in and of themselves. Oh, yeah. It's it's just so good. There's um there's just so much stuff there. If, if you're if you're a comics person and you haven't availed yourself of that um, and pay, done the Patreon for Word Balloon, I would highly recommend that. Um, it's yeah, yeah it's and, totally invaluable. Yeah, and and even folks who are not fans of his work, I think will find enormous value if if they have interest in becoming a creator. Yeah, there's just I mean I think having having that much insight into the industry um like i i feel like it just set the expectations right you know what i mean like yeah i i at no point thought i was going to come into comics and suddenly um you know make a fortune and be a rock star or something because like those those interviews are so grounding um yeah in a good way i feel like uh yeah, so I so I was listening to those, you know, and that was like the um, the amazing Abnett Lanning. Uh, I'm blanking now. Annihilation um, series that you know kind of spawned Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff. It's way into all that stuff. Anyway, I um, so I came up with some ideas. Like the the life formed uh, pitch came about at this time, um, and I just kind of started writing it. I actually started writing it more as like a TV idea. Um, I don't know why I thought it was more likely I could bring a story to to TV or film than it was uh, comics. But then I was, um, I'm on the 
I'm on an advisory board for a community college uh, design program. And I was doing the rounds there looking at student portfolios. And one of the guys had some, uh, he it was a comic artist and he had some pages in his portfolio and it, it just took like all this stuff moving, the right parts moving right in front of my face for me to go like, Oh, I can hire somebody. And, and like, we could do a comic. Um, so that was sort of the light bulb. And then I kind of like converted all my thinking over to the comics mode, studied up as much as I could, um, and sort of dove into that, uh, and eventually ended up uh, teaming up with Cassie and going from there with Lifeformed. And that sort of became the focus for four years, I guess, kind of. I have to ask a to- that's what's going to seem a totally random question. Have yeah. you ever have you ever seen the movie Topsy Turvy? I don't think I have. It's a Mike Lee film about okay. Gil- Gilbert and Sullivan, the musical theater people. And I am a person who could probably not be any less interested in a subject matter than Gilbert and Sullivan, but it's a uh-huh. brilliant film about the creative process all of the different roles in the theater um, are, are illustrated in a, in a very organic way that really celebrates the creative process. And there's a moment in the film that is a light bulb moment, similar to what you're describing. And this is one of my favorite things to hear of. So yeah. hearing, hearing your story, I, picturing you getting that light bulb moment. I just, I just enjoy that visual. Yeah. And that, that moment in the movie Topsy Turvy, I, I recommend everyone watch that movie. There's a light bulb moment in it and it's just incredible. Cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. It's, uh, it was, it was definitely like, I was just sort of like, why, why did it take so much, uh, you know, why did it, why did it have to be so thrust in my face? But like that, but, uh, <laughs> but Hey, it, it worked. So, um, yeah, so that was, uh, that was great. And, so now that you're in the creator mode, um, let's talk about everybody's favorite freaking topic, the pandemic. How has the <laughs> pandemic affected your projects? Um, I don't know that I, I think, I don't want to say it's been good for me. I, like, I think that the, boy, that's a tough question. Well, I had no projects that were directly affected. I guess that's the biggest thing. I mean, the the biggest impact to me was I had a bunch of folks I was planning to talk to, you know, editorial wise and uh, at Emerald City last year. Um, And I had put sort of a lot of emotional eggs in that basket. Uh, I had a couple of the stories that are going to end up in Thoughtscape were printed up for that. And I was going to take those out. But I mean, that's the you know, that's nothing compared to the amazing amounts of effort and, you know, income people are relying on and stuff from shows, of course. Um, Do you do the convention scene very much? Um, Have you tabled before? Yeah. Yeah. We've, let's see, I've done, you know, we've done Rose city here in Portland um, for, have I done four years of that? Three or four years of that. Uh, Emerald city. That's a really good show, right? Yeah, it is good. Um, it, I would say that it, it kind of var- it's, it's, it, it varies a little bit in sort of, I guess, uh, I don't know what you call it, how much connection you end up having with folks and how much you, know, you end up selling and all that stuff. But, um, but it's generally a good show. And 
it's uh and you know it's right i guess like the good part is it's nice and pretty easy and it's fun to like take people around town and stuff because i live here if they're visiting or whatever um so it's a great like you know socializing thing like i my day job is sitting at my desk making web pages and uis and so like i i love getting out to cons pretty much no matter um, how they go and uh and doing something so different um so we've done that and we've done emerald city um i started going up there in 2017 before lifeform came out i went up and just walked around the first year and then we tabled after that uh and that show is amazing um and it has like a, the artist alley there is mind-blowing you could spend all day just in that um and it's on a whole separate floor than the whole rest of the con but it's it's giant seattle's awesome um yeah it's a blast yeah that one's pretty much number one on my list of shows that i've not been to yet that i want to and the the artist alley apparently has like a two to three year long waiting list uh so I, yeah. I haven't even entered that process yet. I, I, I better get on that as soon as, as soon as the world returns. Yeah. It's, uh, it's great. I mean, like it's, yeah, it's, it's packed and like every year there's somehow they figure out a different configuration to get more people in there. Um, but it's never, somehow it's never uncomfortable. So that's cool. Um, but yeah, it's, that's awesome. And you know, there's tons of, I, I don't know, like I love, I live close to Seattle, but I hadn't really explored it that much. And so to be able to go up there for pretty much a week every year and, uh, you know, go for runs or go and go out and try different restaurants and stuff like, it's just, uh, totally, totally fun. So, um, yeah, so that was, I guess that was the major thing that the pandemic affected was, was just cutting that off. And that was very sort of last minute. Like we were kind of deciding right up until, couple weeks whether we were going to go or not and then that because it was before they canceled um so it's like everybody was kind of balancing like am i going to say i'm not going with waiting to see if they were going to actually cancel the show which of course they did um so that was uh that was uh, i guess an emotional roller coaster of a kind um yeah and then after that so i had those stories and after that i just kind of like decided i guess i won't I was in a good writing pattern and I wanted to just get stuff going. I had been success. I had successfully gotten uh, stories done with uh, Lisa Nafziger and Tyrell Cannon that were, I was going to take to that show. And so I was pretty much in that short story mode and I just kind of started making more stuff and about, um, I, and I was basically just making sure I was writing every day, I think was where I was at and like looking for artists Um I'm sure you've gone through this too, right? It's like, you, you gotta find, you need to find like seven people, um, for one story. And that's going to like eventually become, hopefully one of those people will be the person who does the story. Um, and you just working through that whole process. And so I just started to kind of like crank on stuff and write a bunch. And so for me, it was sort of like a little bit of a, it provided some space because then I was also not going out to meetings for work and I got to just kind of like hunker down and um, I guess be in my office even more, but writing more and yeah, it ended up kind of working out okay from the writing project perspective. Okay. I'm going to just pause this discussion real quick and go yeah. on Twitter and, and put a all caps 
Matt Mayor Lowry loves the pandemic yes. and, and, get you, <laughs> and get, immediately get you canceled from the industry. So there yes. we go. There Let's we go. It. No, no, no. I totally, I totally, I totally hear what you're saying. Yeah. I have not, um, the, the sort of changes in habits that may have afforded me a little bit more time for some reason, just the, the overall sapping of the universe of energy kind of, it just, it diminished my, um, output in every dimension. So I'm, I'm hoping 21 is going to, um, allow me to, uh, uh, get back, uh, in full gusto mode. So I'm, I'm, I'm super encouraged to hear your example though, of, of someone who, who was able to, um, roll with, uh, this just horrific situation we've all been in. So let's, let's get off of that, that downer of a topic and get sure. back to the reason that we're here, which is Thoughtscape. Um, when does Thoughtscape launch on Kickstarter? It launches uh, on Monday the 29th. Okay, so it's probably going to be one day or two days into it by the time people hear this. Yes. Um, so um, we we won't have to, uh, you know, not spoil anything or anything of the campaign itself. Um so tell, tell us a little bit about the creative team that you've assembled here. Yeah, for sure. So the, you know, like I said, one of, this was one of the biggest things I wanted to do is I just like, you know, some, there would be whole half days, it, it feels like, um, where I would just sit on my phone, like scrolling Instagram and seeing all this amazing stuff, right? And tons, tons of super quality work that it seemed like, um, these folks not only could handle, you know, the pinup or whatever, but could also tell a great story and everything. Um, and, and obviously some of them are already working and um, folks know about them. So I yeah. basically um, just wanted to like kind of pull as many people into uh, this, the Thoughtscape world as I could and get cranking. So uh, the, I got a cover from Jenna Cha who um, does, uh, how am I? Oh, I'm, is it dark stars above black skies above? I'm I really apologize. I'm blanking on the title, um, from vault. Uh, and she's fantastic. It's a, uh, you know, we, when we were kind of coming up with the concept for it, we wanted to lean into sort of like the pulp sci-fi feel of the seventies. Um, it's very like illustration-y, um, and yeah, she's just fantastic. Um, and so she's on the cover, uh, then Dave law, who has a really wonderful book called the space auditorium, um, with a writer named Chris Calzia. Um, I met Dave at, this is where the pandemic, uh, affected me most is my bad math on when things happened. Um, but the last Rose city that happened, um, we had, I had, we had tabled across from them a bunch of times at Rose city and I went out with uh, Chris and Dave and some other folks after the show and hung out and everything. And uh, as I came up with the idea for the uh, Thoughtscape 2319, which is sort of the flagship series for the book, um, it's a real high concept sci-fi cyborgs and uh, giant corporations and, you know, big space guns and all that kind of stuff. Um, Dave totally just like kind of looking at his art became sort of the catalyst for that story coming together. So um, I reached out to him and we got going on that. And 
Then I also worked with, uh, it's a second story I've done actually is going to be in the first issue of Thoughtscape um, from Tyrell Cannon. We did another uh, story that will be in the second issue, um, but this one was, you know, I guess fresh and new to me. Um, and that's called The Spy Without a Face. And it's basically, I when we did the, the first story I did with Tyrell, it was a little bit more, I'd written it before and it's uh, a little more contained. It's kind of like an office thing that goes bad. Um, and so the more I looked at Tyrell's work while we were, while he was working on that story, he was also releasing this incredible um, Inktober project that was a, uh, a Doom um, like tribute comic. And it was just like this crazy action and insane violence and stuff. And I was like, oh, I need to write something that leans into that because um, that looks amazing. So I wrote this story specifically for Tyrell and uh, he took it on and uh, just crushed it as I would have expected. So that was great. Um, and then Lisa Nafziger did a story called Adorable Orphans, which is about some little android dolls with dark secrets, I guess would be my pitch for that one. Um, and Lisa is actually uh, really good friends with Cassie Anderson who drew Lifeformed, And I met Lisa years back at a Rose city that uh, she tabled with Cassie at. Um, and she does a really cool, like sort of pop art style um, that uh, really, uh, yeah, just uh, fantastic stuff. Um, one of those artists that's like the, deceptive deceptively simple right um right and did you have the concept for adorable orphans in your head already at that point um that one that came to me like all in about the the whole that's one of those ones where it just like all happened at one time like when you're you know you like you struggle on so many things and then you have some idea that seems kind of dumb but uh all of a sudden your head is just filled with the entire story and you see it front to back almost complete. Right. Um, right. And that's what happened with that one. I was like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta get somewhere I can write this down. Um, I, it, that one came from my, my kids are uh, into their teens now, but we still are, we're not very good about purging stuff sometimes. And so I came across um, one of their old American girl doll catalogs Um that was somehow had somehow resurfaced amongst all like the comics and spread all over the place. And, and it all just kind of like in one instant, you know, fired in my brain. So, um, uh, that, uh, that came together really quick and, um, and yeah, Lisa just totally nailed it. Um, yeah, but the, the reason I was curious there is, is, um, as you described her art style as being deceptively simple, yeah. it's also, it's also um, a lot more bright, um, and mm-hmm. it, it, I just find it's a fascinating choice that you've got this sort of dark world that you know you've you've mentioned a parallel to Black Mirror, and then you see her art style, and, yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm just I'm just amazed that that you made the the thought of hey let's put that art style in this book, and it and it works just tremendously well, but that that having that first idea, I'm just amazed how you even had it in the first place. Yeah, it was, it was very, I think it was really the idea that the more, 
what would it like the more the more cart and I when I say cartoony I mean in a positive way not a diminishing way um, right because I love cartoons but the like the more sort of like bright and cartoony and poppy it was um, the more that the darkness of it was going to have an impact if that makes yeah. sense like it's not yeah. like there's I can't I think it was John Lennon not Paul McCartney, but something about like how, how they would intentionally sort of contrast like a dark lyric with a bright poppy melody. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so I wanted to, I think that that even just kind of came as part of the whole idea. Like I just saw it as a, uh, almost a book drawn to, you know, like intentionally be targeted at kids, um, you know, all uh, rain Telgemeier or something, but it's uh, it's, got a really dark uh, few twists to it. Um, and so t- I, I, I interrupted your uh, flow of introductions. Um, I think, I think you caught everyone. I think uh, Carl Slominski yeah, is I, the only one we haven't talked about yeah. yet. So Carl um, it does a story uh, that's called Ex Post Facto. And we've got a character um, in there who's sort of like part detective, part uh, time traveler, um, sort of, you know, playing with some ideas I've been wanting to play with for a long time, but they're also a big part of all the sci-fi out there, obviously. Um, and I started, I came across Carl's art and I just saw like he could do all these different things so well. And, uh, and at the same time I had been started just like right speaking to, uh, the quarantine and pandemic stuff again. Um, I had been sort of just like writing these little call them uh, screeds i guess um as sort of some kind of venting i think um and while this was going on and or about yeah may june of last year i suppose um and at some point i was just like i wonder if i could i wonder if these could be narration for this sort of like loose idea i've had for a long time I was also watching a lot of Twin Peaks. Um, I like rewatched all of Twin Peaks uh, last spring, and that all sort of came together in this really like bonkers Gonzo sort of oh wow tale. I'm um, I'm I'm starting to understand it even more. Okay, because <laughs> this comic is. I mean, now that you've told me that, I could almost pitch it as like, what if David Lynch was Doctor Who? I mean, yes, that's, yep. You got it. (laughs) Yep. 100%. Um, and I'm actually pretty doctor who ignorant. We actually just started watching some doctor who, um, but I think like I, you know, it's in the culture enough that I think I had sort of internalized a bit of it. Um, but that's, yeah, you nailed it. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm going to have to write that down. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The permission granted, put that one on the, on the blurb list. Sweet. Yeah. So Carl does like a combo, it's basically like a mixed media sort of extravaganza. Some of it is just straight up uh, black and white ink comic looking stuff. Some of it's watercolored. Some of it is, uh, you know, like markers. It's all over the place. Um, but it came together super well. And um, uh, yeah, I'm super stoked with it. And everybody was, everybody's been, you know, amazing to work with all in their different ways. And it's been like a super collaborative um fun experience on these stories. And then I've also, uh, we, there's a bunch more that's already sort of in the can and in progress. So, um, yeah, it's mm. been a super good time. So, um, you mentioned that you'd recently kind of binged a little bit on twilight zone. 
Um, what really draws you to this format of uh, speculative fiction in a sort of dark and uh, uh, technology connected uh, narrative landscape? Yeah, I think it's just sort of something I've, I think I've always been interested in it. I think I was more interested in, it's pretty apparent, I th- like uh, reading Lifeformed, uh, I think like influences such as Terminator and stuff are, um, are really there, but it's, that's more from like sort of the character development point of view. And so I think getting into Twilight Zone and, uh, and Black Mirror and everything, it's sort of like, I guess it it really allows you to, as we've seen over the course of the last year or four years or whatever, um, all the flaws of humans um, are really exposed, I feel like, when you put them up against technology somehow. And I feel like it's interesting because like you look at Twilight Zone, it's like, oh, it's the same thing. Like just 60 or 70 years ago, it was the same. Like every, any time you've got uh, access to, it feels like to this new thing or these new ideas that might help humanity. Most of the time they don't. And most of the time they just make things worse. Um, And in, in some ways, I guess, and maybe my pessimistic view of things. Um, So, but there's at least a lot of dark potential dark side to it. And a lot of ways to explore like what, people do when they're faced with the choices that those things present, if that makes any sense. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that, um, that always been something that, been, that I've been into definitely from like Terminator and other eighties movies. It feels very prevalent in a lot of the stuff that I loved when I was growing up, like war games and, you know, uh, all that business. Um, but I think seeing it in the twilight zone format, it's like, Oh, you can really tell like a, a concise um, character arc sort of using that format um, versus, you know, not everything has to be a big drawn out, you know, two, two book or two movie epic. Um, You can really like get in there and expose people's emotions quickly and mess with them quickly and then uh, have your, uh, your twist or whatever, if there's a twist to be had and then be done. Um, And yeah, I think, I think it's that. And then just, I think my brain just normally spends a lot of time in that space. Um, and it's, it feels like it really suits comics in a, in a way that, um, I feel like if you, when you do it right, I think like somebody like Alan Moore or whatever, it's like, have shown that it can be even more effective than any other medium. So. Well, it's, it's interesting. You talk about the, the ability to have a kind of closed uh, short story in this, you know, consistent tone themed collection, but you also are doing, including at least two stories that are set up to be recurring in this series. Um, The first one and the last one. Um, I even, I even thought that maybe spy without a face might, be recurring or not uh, is that one just a standalone or is that one maybe gonna 
revisit as well. That's intended to pretty much be a standalone, but definitely with like, I guess, possibility or um, I wouldn't want to cut it off <laughs> if that makes sense. And um, it's, it's strange how, how much this surprised me. Um, most of the anthologies currently being done in indie comics are all containing self-contained yeah. elements and this one, I love the recurring feature thing. And I guess, I guess AD 2000 is one of your, uh, yeah. inspirations on that. Yeah, totally. Like I, I got into that. Um, yeah, another, I guess another eighties comic book store thing was growing up. I would always go and see like, um, you know, rogue trooper at all. No. Okay. So there was a, um, and I'm going to blank on the name of the writer, but Dave Gibbons drew a story um, or started drawing a story. And then Cam Kennedy followed him called Rogue Trooper. That was in 2080. And a couple of years back, I like, I would go to the store and see these posters and I knew it wasn't quite for me yet. Like I wasn't quite old enough, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I was just totally like, what is that? Like, it's like this blue, like basically like a blue clone soldier who um, is, you know, I was stuck in some kind of post-apocalypse. I didn't even know when I was a kid. Um, but I was just like, it's just, you know, it's Dave Gibbons, first of all, so it's amazing. And uh, it just really, like, whatever. It takes all those, like, 11-year-old boy, you know, in the 80s boxes. Um, and so I finally read that, and then when I read that, it was great. I decided I wanted to just start reading 2008 at large, and so I got a bunch of the collections, and I subscribed and started reading the, um, the current, the current incarnation, I guess, or the same incarnation, but still going. Um, and yeah, it was just really like t- the notion that you could tell these, like a serial story, but in six, you know, six parts, first of all, it seemed affordable, um, which was good. And it seemed like something that sort of suited the other thing that I was really hoping to do. Um, and that I kind of alluded to earlier, which was like, I felt like I needed to make more comics in order to learn more about how to make comics. And I wasn't going to get that doing, you know, uh, 200 page stories every two Mm -hmm. years. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I felt like, Oh, well, if you do get into some sort of serial format, then it's cool to start that up and have that evolve as it goes. And in those like six increment things, like I could, or six page increments, I could, I can afford it. I can, it's a good writing chunk, but not too much. Um, it seems like enough that people will read it um, and, you know, can keep up. So yeah, it was, uh, that was definitely inspired by that. And there was a dark horse did a book back in the day called dark horse presents. It was like one of the first things that they did. Um, and there was a similar format. I, if at least if my memory serves me right. I, um, and at some points it would have ongoings and also um, uh, self-contained stuff. And so, yeah, it just seemed, um, it seemed fun and it seemed like a way to like, I don't know, I, there's, especially since I was going to be writing all these stories myself, um, I felt like it gives me multiple sort of modes to operate in, which seemed fun. Um, yeah. Like this is, this is a brilliant structure you've done both in terms of just the entertainment aspect of reading the book but also in terms of your development as a comic creator i think i think um both 
uh, work really, really well. Let's dive into a, a few of the details on the specific yeah. stories. The, the the one that you call the flagship, yeah. the one that, that opens the uh, the anthology, Perish the Thought, Part One. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the world building in this one. There's there's a lot of unique vocabulary and manners of speaking, and it, it's it's got that lived in sort of feel, and it, it it it's got a bit of a uh, cyberpunk feel to it. Yeah. Um, and you've explicitly said this is part one. Um, so, um, do you know how many parts the, the whole overall story is going to be, or is it just open-ended? It's, uh, I've basically outlined like the first three, it's all gets so complicated when you're talking about these six issue chapters, but, um, or parts and what even, what words to even use. Um, I've, ish, I've outlined like three arcs for this uh, character, I guess, in this world. Um, and in inside of those arcs, I would say is about like uh, eight, six to eight parts in each arc. Um, so my, my goal, if everything goes as I would like it to, is that there will be at least eight issues of Thoughtscape comics. And that that will be that will allow us to complete the a satisfying first arc of this story, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And so, but I have, I don't know, like, once I start, yeah, once I start getting into this stuff, it's hard to like not have I, tons of ideas, right? So I have, uh, I have like you know different ideas for if we wanted to actually just go ahead and take this to like a a full size comic book, what that would be like, um, mm-hmm. or, and, or f- full size ongoing. Um, but basically like the plan would be to just do keep this as an ongoing with these sort of like, uh, you know, uh, complete chapters in it basically. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, there's, I, I think we've set up like a lot of different things to explore there. I'm great to, it's great to hear that it feels lived in. Um, I really want, like I was reading Dune, for the first time when I wrote this one and I just loved like um, how layered it felt uh, and it, that it had sort of like this whole notion of this ancillary um, ancillary materials, um, you know, just really, really fleshed out world behind it all. Um, and, and I also have loved that in my comics. You'll see that a lot in 2080. There's a lot of stuff where people are talking about stuff. You just have no idea what it is, but it just makes it seem real. Um, yeah, so that was uh, that was a blast. And I feel like within that stuff, I've got tons of ideas about um, how it can sprawl <laughs> if we have the opportunity to sprawl. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like it definitely has that potential. Cool. Um, now, the second story we haven't talked much about, uh, Spy Without a Face. Um, very dark action technology um, story. Um, quick question. I, I got to see a preview and it was in black and white, which was awesome. Is the, yeah. is the final version going to stay black and white or you, is that one eventually going to be color? No, it's going to stay black and white. I, that was sort of okay. the intention um, was to have it be sort of, I don't know, it's got like the sort of hard boiled, I don't know, Sin City inspired um, narration to it. Uh, for lack mm-hmm, of a mm-hmm. better call out. Um, and it just, uh, yeah, I really liked the way the other story that Tyrell and I did was also black and white. Um, and I just really like the way he uses like the tones and everything. Um, it feels like a cool, um, like, 
I don't know, indie comic from the eighties that you probably shouldn't be reading yet because you're too young, but, um, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> okay. but, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, so we're going to keep that one that way. Some, I do want to do a color story with Tyrell at some point, but I, yeah, I sort of fell in love with that, uh, toned approach he does on the black and white. It was um, really cool. So. So we've talked a little bit about adorable orphans, yep. the one that has the, the tonal contrast between the visuals and the, the content. Um, that one, uh, it, it, it's, it's a kind of the most ambitious in terms of like the, just the mechanics of the comic creation mm-hmm. and how it fits in. Um, and th- that one is, is just adorable. <laughs> you know, awesome. I hate to say the <laughs> word, but yeah. And then, and then the last one we've hinted at a little bit um, ex post facto um, it's just has incredible artwork and, uh, almost it, it reminded me some of like, um, maybe dark Knight returns era, Frank Miller. Yeah. Uh, um, and how, how did you, who, who is the artist on that again? How did you guys meet up? Yeah. So that's Carl Solminski and I just found Carl's stuff online. Um, and it really just ended up being like what I was seeing from him was, one like uh, as I like I said, I was kind of just journaling some of those thoughts out, and as I was doing that, I was discovering his work, and then just you know, I, I tend to like find folks on Instagram or whatever, and then just like revisit their stuff every couple of days if I'm feeling compelled, um, and that's where I was with his thing with his work, and then you know going to his site and looking at his sequential samples and everything, and I would totally agree. Like I think he's got the Miller stuff, he's got the Sinkevich stuff. Um, that I love, or the, you know, like that ability to, you know, the mixed media ability, the like ability to make the, uh, Carl and I kept calling it gonzo, but like the, the gonzo elements of everything still come across and communicate. Yeah. Um, and which I think sometimes can be tough to do like that, that script that I gave him, I was just like, I don't know if, I don't know if somebody can draw this, but, um, you know, certain panels of it and he just like. Um, I don't, you know, luckily I have, I, most of the time I have had this experience. It's like, I've done, I've written something out and give it to somebody thinking like, uh, you know, expecting that it'll look a certain way or whatever. But then like, I, I'm just constantly being surprised by how good and how much more they're bringing to something than what I had on the page. Um, and like panel after panel of that story, Carl was doing that. Um, so yeah, it, uh, but def so definitely those influences. And I was, and I felt like my narration was kind of coming from that place too of like, um, and it's just, I think it's just something I'm enjoying right now is writing over, sort of overwrought narration, um, and making stuff feel really comicsy, uh, or at least what comics feel like to me, um, when I love them the most. So yeah, that was, uh, so it's sort of just a dark, I guess, dark mental, emotional journey. Um, and I think we spent, we spend a probably equal amount of time in the real world that the character of ex post facto is, uh, his name is dash that the real world of what he's experiencing and his internal world. It's sort of like, I would say the story is sort of split between those two. Like there's, you'll go from some panel of what's happening in the room with him in reality uh, and then some vision he's having. Right. Um, 
and it's you know we're not really like holding your hand a bunch. It's just it's just happening. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that um, I think it's fun. This the second part of that. Um, the first part's amazing, and I was totally blown away what Carl did. Um, so I went back and like I'd re- I'd written the whole thing. I'd written like four parts. Um, that one's a four going to be a four parter. Um, I'd written all four parts. I was very happy with it, but I got his artwork back. I'm like, I I need to like level up part two. It needs to be <laughs> nice. Needs, yeah, part nice. two needs to be crazier. So I went back and I, to your to your point. So it's a good catch. I was like, I need to see Carl draw a totally like big black Frank Miller helicopter. Um, and so I was like, okay, we'll figure out how to put that in the story. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's super fun. And I mean, like getting that sort of like, this is one of the things you just like can't really do it that in the larger format, right. Is like get six pages back and go rewrite the next part. Like, um, it's, it's so nice. And like, uh, to be able to do that. Um, and, and when you've got enough, when you've got a handful of stories going back and forth, you've got stuff, some stuff coming in, some stuff going out and it just starts to feel like you're actually making comics um, versus like writing a script and sending it somewhere, and, you know, um, and Cassie works fast. So it's not, that's not her. It's more like just publishing, right? Um, publishing is slow. So even if you and your team are working fast, um, it's, it takes a long time. So to be, ha- to be having lots of like back and forth with different creators is uh, a really great, you know, way to feel like I felt like, Oh, I'm actually doing the thing I got into this to do now. Right. Like, right. 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 Um, it, so. it pace is actually what I wanted to ask you about yeah. next. Let's, let's, um, let's go ahead and even, uh, consider issue two of Thoughtscape. Yeah. When, when might, uh, a campaign for that happen? Um, well, I, like my goal, a little bit of this is obviously up in the air since this is my first Kickstarter and I have, yeah. I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> um, so if, if it succeeds, um, my hope is that I could do like an issue a quarter. Um, I've got, mm-hmm. I've got enough uh, between content that's already, or, sorry, content, I hate that word, sorry, between stories that are already done and stories that are in progress. Um, I've got the first four issues are pretty much covered. Um, and so... What am I saying there? So yeah, so I'm hoping that we could, I could start putting things out quarterly. And if the Kickstarter goes, then my plan is to um, have the first issue hit in June and then basically be on a quarterly schedule. And I haven't really projected what that means in terms of the Kickstarters themselves, but mm. that, that would be the goal. And I, that's a big question for me is I don't know if, can you, could you really sustain a quarterly thing on Kickstarter? I have no idea. Um, but, uh, that, that's sort of my hope and I'm my, you know, I've got like a loose plan with myself to evaluate how things are going and see what, um, what makes the most sense, you know, I don't know, halfway into the campaign or whatever. Um, but, but yeah. Um, and there's stuff in the second issue that, uh, you know, I mean, like from a, all the art and all this stuff is fantastic, but from a writing perspective, I'm, you know, super excited about stuff in the second issue because I, it, I feel like it's starting to reflect the learning that I've done um, across nice, the stories nice. from the first stuff. So, uh, yeah, so, um, so yeah, I'm super, super stoked for that. Um, and I've got, uh, let's see, who else, who's in that that's not in this one? I guess the 
the story that's in, or the artist that is in the second book that's not in the first is uh, Jacob Edgar, um, who has a really amazing, um, wonderful, like sort of classic comic style, sort of mm-hmm. a little Bruce Timmy um, or something, uh, but but his own thing. Um, so that's uh, we've got a we've got a great story that I you know I got that one back. I'm like, oh, this is maybe the best thing I've ever, I've ever done and the best it's come across in terms of the art and stuff. And it's really super concise. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I'm excited for that one to be out there too. Um, and, uh, and Grim Wilkins, who is amazing, um, did the cover for that. So that's all queued up and ready to go. Um, if, uh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. I'm, um, I'm very much rooting for your success on this. Um, just generally, um, but also for, uh, for just my own greedy reasons. I want to, I want, I want to see these, uh, uh, these stories conclude. I want, I want more perish the thought and more ex post facto. Awesome. Well, that's great. Great to hear. And I, you know, I think the good part is a lot of the, uh, it's all done. Um, or at least like the first four issues of what would be thoughtscape are, are pretty much going to happen no matter what. So I think that, um, if, uh, really the Kickstarter is about getting it out there, getting it to a wide audience and sort of getting it into a sustainable mode. Um, mm-hmm. And if we could pull that off, that would be fantastic. And I think we can kind of keep going for, you know, I, I'd love to keep going for a long time if we can make it happen. So I'm really glad to hear you enjoyed it. That's great. That's great. So um, as we close out here, I'm yeah. going to put you on the spot. Sure. We have a question that we ask everyone. Um, what is on your radar these days? What, uh, what are you reading or watching that, uh, that you can recommend? Oh, let's see. What would I recommend? Um, I guess I can go to my go-tos, uh, but cause I feel like nobody reads or not enough folks read them, but, um, uh, Copra by Michelle Fife is a comic that he does all on his own, um, mm-hmm. art, uh, re- yeah, he creates the entire thing on his own. He puts it all out on his own. He was an image for a little bit, but now he's taking it back uh, on his own as well. Um, and that book is constantly mind blowing and amazing. Uh, the other thing that I absolutely love these days is something is killing the children uh, by James Tinian. And I, um, yeah, go look it up. Cause I feel like I will um, butcher the amazing artist's name. Um, Werther is the, his first name. And that book is constantly surprising, has uh, a main character that is one of, I think, the best creator-owned characters of the last decade by far, and uh, is just you know, constantly evolving and constantly shocking. Um, so comics-wise, I guess it's that. And then what did I just... Um, I just watched The Investigation on HBO Max, um, which is a dramatization of the story of a journalist who was killed in a man's private submarine. And it's a show from Denmark um, that uh, has a couple actors who were on another show from Denmark that I really like called Borgen, which was a political drama. It's on Netflix. Um, So anyway, we checked the... Oh, go ahead. You've already got me hooked. Like I didn't okay. even know private submarines were a thing. Yeah, it's so <laughs> this this story is the story is wild. Um, the way they tell it is 
I want to say it's six, six episodes. Um, mm-hmm. It's very, it's really somber. It's really uh, from Denmark. Um, it's got a, it's got a vibe. It's really well done. Um, and it's all told only from the point of view of the investigators and the family of the victim. So it's, it very much does not have any kind of like, I don't really call it like uh, killer glorification or Hannibal Lecteriness or any of that kind of stuff. It's, it's real like ground level. Um, you know, they basically just, because it's a submarine, obviously and it takes place in the submarine. There's like one whole episode that's just about how the divers are diving, looking for evidence. And it just, and it just, that's like 60 minutes, but you're like, it's riveting. So, um, yeah, it's really, really cool. Um, so I would definitely recommend checking that out. And yeah, I think that's the last thing that really sort of, um, I got into, uh, in a big way. That sounds fantastic. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming onto the show and we will put a link to the campaign in the uh, show notes so everybody can, uh, hop on board and uh, get to read Dotscape. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much, man. Thanks.